Hello and welcome to another episode of ESG Voices. This podcast series addresses the opportunities and challenges within ESG through interviews with ESG specialists from KPMG and beyond. Throughout this series, we will discuss a broad range of environmental, social and governance issues, aiming to support governments, businesses and communities in creating an equitable and prosperous future for all. As companies consider their decarbonisation strategies and their net zero ambitions, they should aim to reduce their energy consumption and source higher amounts of low carbon or green energy. The recent energy crisis is also making companies reconsider their energy strategies in terms of both consumption costs and the security of energy supplies. There are various renewable energy supply options available, which all companies can consider. These include buying renewable obligation certificates and renewable energy guarantees of origin. These will, however, have price premiums and their value can fluctuate according to market conditions and government targets. Companies can also generate their own renewable energy, but this is often not a realistic option as it can be expensive will impact the balance sheet and will more often fulfil only a limited part of the energy needs. For companies looking for a secure long-term supply of renewable energy, power purchase agreements or PPAs offer the most cost-effective method of sourcing large amounts of renewable energy at competitive prices. Today I am joined by Marina Valve, Associate Director, KPMG in the UK, and Nicola Leonetti, Director KPMG in France, to discuss PPAs, how they can be used to support companies' decarbonisation strategies, and why we have observed double-digit annual growth of the PPA market during the last 10 years. Marina, to kick off our conversation, could you describe to our audience what a PPA is? Sure. A PPA is a power purchase agreement, uh, and it's ultimately a long-term bilateral agreement between an energy producer, so a generator, and a consumer. In the case of corporate PPAs, which is what we are going to be talking about today mainly, the consumer is actually a corporate organization. And in their case, PPAs are a form for that organization to procure power and more specifically procure low carbon power by purchasing it directly from the source at a pre-negotiated price. And Nicola, can I get your thoughts? Yeah, maybe to, to add on what uh, Marina just said, there are different types of PPA that corporate can contract. First of all, the most simple one for a corporate to start with is a one-side PPA. So in that case, the corporate will leverage surfaces that it detains. It can be uh, the roofs or it can be uh, parking lots or it can be uh, land. And he will um, have an agreement with a developer for the developer to install the renewable assets on that uh, surface, produce the electricity and sell back the electricity which is produced. So it's slightly more simple because there is no question of looking for some land. It already exists within the corporate um, premises. Other type of PPA are um, off-site PPA. So in the case of an off-site PPA, the developer will look for a land, uh, obtain all permits necessary to use the land to install the assets, either uh, windmills or um, solar panels. And then, uh, similarly to the um, on-site PPA, he will um, 
produce electricity and sell the electricity produced to the corporate. That's conditions which are pre-agreed between the parties. Thanks, Nicola. Marina, what are the expected benefits of PPAs and why are PPAs valuable to organisations? There are quite a few reasons and ultimately those reasons will be different depending on what who the organisation is and where it is located. But in general, and based on the definition that Nicola just gave, there are sort of two main axes. The first one is around decarbonisation. It allows you to secure for a long-term period clean power and therefore to be able to claim that the power that you use for your everyday consumption as an organisation is carbon free, which is quite important today for a lot of organizations that have climate targets and science-based targets that they're hoping to achieve. In particular, PPAs can offer something that we call additionality. And it's something that is very um, sought after these days in the market because it's basically the ability to demonstrate that thanks to your contract and your consumption, you have allowed the development of a new renewable asset into an energy market on an energy grid. Without the corporate signing this agreement and without the corporate procuring clean power, there wouldn't be a new asset generating clean power into an energy grid. So that's a really valuable argument for any organization that is hoping to decarbonize and demonstrate that they are meeting those targets. The second angle is around price. And so I said that earlier that um, you have pre-negotiated price as part of this long-term agreement. So very obvious benefit to organizations is that it gives you that long-term visibility and certainty on price. You have seen recently that obviously energy markets have been very volatile and the cost of even the wholesale but also retail prices have gone has gone up. Um, while it might go down over the next couple of years, it might still go up. We're not protected against potential a geopolitical crisis or any crisis that might impact energy prices. The corporate PPA allows you to negotiate a fixed price and therefore be a little bit more resilient to those variations in the market, which is very important for a lot of organisations that we talk to. Thanks, Marina. Nicola, how can PPAs support organisations' decarbonisation strategies? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Maybe one step back to look at... Uh, what a, a company needs to do in order to, to build a, a complete, exhaustive um, decarbonization strategy. You need to look at the three scopes, one, two, and three of decarbonization. Scope one is uh, related to the direct emissions of corporates. Scope two are emissions in particular related to the purchase of electricity. And scope three are emissions which are related to um, external partners or um, uh, stakeholders, suppliers, distributors, etc. So when it comes to PPA, it um, impacts specifically scope two because uh, scope two addresses the um, carbon content of the uh, electricity purchased. And so here, in terms of strategy that the corporates can build, I spoke earlier about the different types of PPA. So a company will look at whatever volume of electricity they can source first through um, on-site PPA, which um, is um, probably the easiest one to, to, to activate uh, initially. But it could be limited to a certain volume of electricity. So they may, uh, for example, source uh, 5 to 
20% of the electricity through uh, on-site PTA. Then they, they would look at uh, off-site PTA to get a larger volume uh, of electricity source for PPA, clean energy, decarbonized energy. And uh, they could uh, maybe uh, go up to um, 70% of energy sourced through this uh, lever. And ultimately, but uh, after those two levers are used, they can look at uh, complementing at the market through the purchase of um, RECs, for example. So that's um, how it should be viewed. The, the fact that, uh, and it's quite a change about energy sourcing strategy. They have to consider, in fact, a portfolio of different types of contracts in order to be able to uh, fully decarbonize the, the scope two of their emissions. Also, one interesting thing to look at, which is uh, maybe less common, but look at the scope three, and particularly for large corporates who have also large ecosystems of suppliers or distributors, they can also uh, support them negotiating PPAs. So uh, they can make some recruitments uh, of companies uh, in order to have the, the critical size and negotiate, push their partners to negotiate large PPA to also decarbonize. So doing this, suppliers or um, partners will decarbonize their scope two, but they will also contribute to a decarbonization of a scope three of a corporate. That's great, Nicolas. Thanks. Marina, if organizations are looking into PPAs to help support their decarbonization journey, where should they start? So the, the first step is always to try to look inside and understand your own needs. PPAs, as attractive as they may sound, might not be suited for every organization, or more importantly, they might not even be available fully in every market. At the same time, Nicola has just mentioned that there are different types of PPAs, mainly a sort of a distinction between the on-site and the off-site, and those different types of PPAs might not be suited for every organization. An organization with obviously a lot of land might go for a lot more of on-site PPA than an organization with only a few office blocks in a city, for example. So that is very important, taking the time to understand your actual needs, your energy needs, your current contracting process, but also your future growth and ambitions as an organization. Where do you want to take your consumption levels? Which markets you might decide to grow into? Understand all this and compare that to what is actually available from a technology, regulation, market perspective in the country that you're based in is the first step. And this is a lot of the work we do as part of our initial phase of work with our clients when they come to us. And Nicola, would you add anything? Another very important point to look at is internally. So PPAs are very complex contracts. Those contracts impact many functions in the company, purchasing, sustainability, industrial, finance, accounting, legal. So it's very important that all those uh, internal stakeholders clearly understand the stakes, the opportunities, the risks associated to those contracts. So then really be onboarded in the program so that they can uh, uh, support the program. And uh, when we are in a position to negotiate and sign a PPA, everybody in the company will be aware about uh, what is uh, being done, what are the benefits that will be uh, uh, obtained from such contracts, what are the risks that need to be managed, etc. So that's uh, very important that uh, all key stakeholders are um, 
really um, very well educated about the specifics of um, PPAs. What are the lessons you have learned from previous engagement and what advice would you give based on those lessons? Marina, can I come to you first? So there's quite a few lessons. I think um, maybe the, the first one I would think about is the fact that contracting a PPA, so a completely bilateral contract so between two parties, is something that is, can potentially be very attractive, but also takes quite a lot of time. So you have to be ready for longer procurement process and negotiation periods in which you decide what works best for the two parties. During that process, making sure that you establish trust with the right partner and the sort of the developer in the case of a corporate that you have in front of you is very, very important. So ensuring that you can manage that relationship while you are negotiating and ensuring that they keep sort of coming back to you and that everybody negotiates in good faith is, is quite important. We've seen some cases where uh, negotiations fall through and you have to start all over again. So it's very important that sort of you've kept an open discussion with everybody in the market and that you come in with a good a goodwill, uh, let's say, in terms of how you want to take the, the discussions forward. The second element, which is also linked to that, is that PPAs are in a lot of demand these days from organizations. So it's it's quite important to make sure that you are seen as a potential and attractive partner and that you are ready to motivate the counterparty into why they should engage with you and not another corporate. So ensuring that you have a process that is attractive enough to get interesting conversations going, competition going, is really the difference between a successful process and a failed process. And one of the keys to achieve that is to talk to the market. So a lot of what we do with with our clients is initially a lot of market soundings, ensuring that we shortlist the right partners for them and that there's very much of a, a potential in a partnership. You're not just contracting with anyone, you're contracting with someone that could be a trusted partner for a long term. And Nicola? Maybe to, to, to add to what has just been said, I think it's uh, really important to understand that PPAs are not at all standard purchasing contracts because they are very long-term. We are speaking about five to uh, 20 years. So it's a very uh, much longer than most of the contracts that the company is uh, used to sign. And the stakes are also very big. Uh, it can be um, tens or uh, hundreds of millions of euro uh, uh, for the total duration of the, of the contract. So, so, so it means that um, it's important to, to well understand the stakes to well understand the balance between the offer and demand. So um, the fact that um, developers have their obviously own uh, interests that needs to be taken into consideration in the negotiation and the, the balance of power be between the buyer and the seller can really change a lot compared to uh, what, uh, again, corporates as, as used to see on the market usually. And so it's important to, to really adapt the negotiation strategy. Uh, for example, we, we have been in, a, in contact with uh, corporates recently who are used to organize auctions to select their supplier. But what we see also on the market is that now the developers, they tend to organize themselves auctions to select their client. So um, we, we can see that, uh, yeah, it's a very uh, specific market and it's um, really important to take time to uh, 
to have a deep understanding of the dynamics of that market. Marina, to wrap up our conversation today, in your opinion, what does the future hold for PPAs? The main thing we're seeing is expansion of the geographies that allow and that have made PPAs possible. So we're seeing quite a lot of the emerging markets, as we would normally call them, really getting into that sort of PPA spirit in a way and and by sort of uh, ensuring that the regulation is adapted so that those bilateral contracts can be signed more and more. So I'm talking, I'm thinking particularly we've got sort of quite a lot of Asian markets that are very emerging. Not a lot of PPAs have been signed, but it's something where we now actually are able to sit around the table and have conversations about potential future long-term PPAs whether that is on-site or off-site or different types of PPAs that we've talked about in this podcast, we're starting to see a lot of interest. So my view is that they're just going to not stop uh, to the markets where they currently are. There's going to be a massive geographical expansion of where those contracts can be signed. And hopefully that will allow as well to democratize a little bit the process. So having not just you larger organization with big consumption in one specific countries that can effectively access that market and sort of uh, really leverage their consumption with bilateral contracts with developers, but maybe organizations with a larger footprint, but maybe smaller in some countries that can have cross-border engagements or even sort of unite with other uh, organizations to go to market as one and try sort of to, to be more attractive to developers. So I think, yeah, a increase in the uh, amount of markets where you can sign PPAs and p- definitely, I think, uh, an increase in, in the type of smaller or medium uh, size of organizations that we might see also sign, sign PPAs uh, over the next two years, hopefully, is, is what I'm, I'm expecting to see. And Nicola, can I come to you now? Well, I think we, we said several times that uh, PPA is a complex contract. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's, it's complex because it's, uh, again, v- very long contract. So you need to, to take a lot of attention to the different terms of a contract. What happens if uh, one of the parties want to terminate before the end? What happens if there is a, a change in law, a change in uh, regulation that uh, will affect the um, economic conditions of the, of the contract? Also, there are complexities around accounting topics. Especially, uh, we didn't speak about that, but uh, there is a, a type of PPA, which is a virtual PPA, which is more kind of a financial uh, edging instrument. So um, with quite, quite complex looks, things to look at in order to, to really understand the impact of such contract and to uh, report it in the balance sheet and uh, PNL. Also, uh, when implementing um, a, a physical PPA, you also need to source some uh, additional aggregation services from uh, possibly a third party. So I think going forward, what will uh, accelerate the deployment of uh, those PPA are a standardization or a simplification of a number of um, conditions. It can be uh, more standard contractual terms. It can be an evolution of some uh, counting rules in order to create a more favorable um, environment for the development of PPAs. And also, uh, probably the, um, 
developers and the, the largest one will tend to offer larger uh, scope of services in order to really support their clients in all the, I would say, um, uh, concrete um, activities to implement the contracts. So that's uh, to really, we, we, we believe things will move in that direction to make the, the PPA market more fluid and more um, easy for the corporates to, to, to look at. Marina and Nicola, thanks again for speaking today. You've given our listeners a lot to think about. Join us again next time for more insights from ESG leaders and innovators. You can also find our latest insights covering a range of ESG topics by visiting kpmg.com forward slash ESG. Thanks for listening.